0: Thank you so much for singing that hymn. It's it's in my top ten favorite hymns. Thankful that he's my friend. I want no better friend. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 6. Gospel according to St. Luke chapter 6. One of the things that... We know Christians is that important for us to tell others about Jesus. In fact, it's one of the primary uh, responsibilities of a Christian is to go and make disciples. and uh, we have the Great Commission in Acts and many places where we are commanded to reach. A fallen world, but I think that one of the great difficulties is we don't know how. We don't know how. Um, we we want to. Um, I think I don't. I don't believe probably that there would be any Christian here this morning. I don't want to tell anyone about Jesus. Think anybody would say? I, I hope that that I never uh, help anyone to find uh, Jesus as Lord. I don't think any of us would say that. But I think that a lot of us would say, "I don't know how to help somebody that I work with or is my neighbor. I don't know how to get somebody from not going to church at all to get them." saved. I don't, know, I don't know how to do that process. I don't know how to do that. Um, and as we, as we often look around our, our churches, we see that the vast majority of, of the people that are in our churches are, are get there with me. Um, So I've had this message, this series, we're going to start a series and and, um, the series has been on my heart, I think, I think since the beginning of March. God has uh, been laying this, uh, uh, these thoughts on And uh, I thought, well, that's interesting that the Lord had worked it out that way. We're going to look Bless Father's Day in there as the Lord will lead us. I want to look at uh, how to be a blessing to our community. How to be a blessing to our community. We used the word BLESS as our acronym, as our, as our guide and a help. And, and I, I thought, you know how uh, God told Abraham that through him all the nations... And I, uh, I think that it makes sense that God has grafted us in to the children of Abraham... Uh, in fact, I thought it was interesting, one of the songs that we sang said, Ye Chosen seed of Israel's Race. Well, we're not Jewish. How can we sing that? Well, we've been grafted in. We're a part of Abraham's family through the blood of Jesus. And so, I believe it falls on us to be responsible to carry out that promise of blessing all the nations. Now Cameron's going to go bless Haiti. Not all of us will be called to bless the, uh, other countries. Petersons will bless Lesotho, but we are going to bless our. I'm to give you the five messages. In fact, I, I hope to re, that I remember to do this so that we can that we can think about and meditate on this um, for the next uh, five weeks plus Father's Day how are we going to bless our community how are we going to how are we going to be soul winners the process is begin with prayer listen listen with care eat together Serve with love. Share our story. Now, that's not original with me. Bless is not original with me. I'm not saying it is. The sermons are all original, uh, at least the one I have written. Um, But I think they all will be. Um, But research has shown that this method of evangelism is 40% more effective than passing out an invitation. In fact, they call the other method press or bless. And the press, put, trying to get them to come in, try to push them to come in, they have found that, that this method is 40% more effective in uh, leading people to Christ than um, traditional uh, styles that perhaps maybe we've tried in the past. And so, uh, so it's, there's been research on this method. There's been... Uh, And we're going to, as we, just preaching through each of these, so that we can be better soul winners. I don't, I, don't, I truly don't believe that there's a Christian that can say, "I don't want to be better at soul winning." The world's best soul winner. And uh, prayer, that God will help us through this. Uh, So first we want, to, we want to begin with prayer. So Luke chapter 6, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 6. One of the things that I'm endeavoring to do with this, this series is to show how each one of these is in Christ. So that you just don't think that this is some kind of man-made idea but each of these ex- are examples taken from the life of Christ. And uh, you will see that, especially, I think, this morning. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray, and continued on to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve of whom also he named apostles, Simon, whom he called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zealots, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. And he came down with them and stood in the plain in the company of his disciples, and people out of all Judea in Jerusalem, and from the sea coast of they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. Virtue healed them all. Father, we need your help. And we want to be We want to know how to do it well. You would anoint these lips of clay one more time. Father, that we would, that we would rightly divide the word of truth... And Lord, in this time of practical theology, this practical living out of our faith, Lord, don't allow us to be lulled to sleep in these last days. But Lord, as the hour is closer to midnight, that we would be, that we would feel the urgency to win our neighbors and our families and our co-workers for you. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. (coughs) We often get caught up in doing, don't we? It's easy for us to be doers. I'd like to think that that wasn't a problem, that we would be people who were quick to wait on the Lord, and quick to pray, and and quick to reflect, but if we're really honest, we like to get going, don't we? We like to get right into the action. We have a time of ministry that we are in. We've had the fishing derby, and ministry, and we'll have the VBS, and some of these are, uh, we'll have UBC here, and, and perhaps other events that, that where we will be reaching out to our community and trying to win them. But before we can be effective, before we can hope to be effective, with all the things that we might try, we have to begin with prayer. We have to. When I was a student at Penview, we had the privilege of going with, uh, to Lebanon, God's Missionary Church, a, a rather large church, and uh, spending a weekend there, and their outreach ministry. They have a, a well-known bus ministry, and I don't even know how many buses they run, five, six buses, I think. There's several buses that they run. And we had the privilege of going and spending the weekend there and just seeing how the ministry uh, went. And I was chosen. I was, I was the fortunate one, I think. Uh, I was able to go, and I was the only one to go with the pastor. I got to, I got to go calling with uh, Pastor Barry Arnold. And uh, if, you, if you know him, you know that's a tremendous privilege. And especially as a Bible school student, I understood what a privilege that was. But Saturday morning, before the bus captains would go calling on their routes before the pastor went calling uh, on on people to come to church. They all gathered. I don't remember. I think it was like 8 a.m. in the church and had prayer together before they ever went calling that day. And it struck me. Here are these, these men, all of them probably with jobs, Bus captains, bus helpers, different ones. I don't remember how many were there. But everyone who had responsibility for picking up children, they had taken upon themselves to be early on a Saturday morning and ask God's blessing on their ministry. And we we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to pray and ask God to help us before we can ever hope to be salt and light into this world. One of the things that, that I think we would all agree with is we need to be praying that God would prepare the way for us. That God would, would send the Holy Spirit and, and that He would uh, help people to be perhaps under conviction or, or, or maybe they're in a the time of, of trouble. And it's a, It was amazing. As we'd go calling, people would say, uh, you know, I'm we're really going through a hard time right now. Would you be willing to pray for us about this situation? In different times, as I've been calling, people say, my brother just died. It's just like, it's just like God just led us to the right person at the right time. Over and over, we've had, we've had situations like that. As, as we've prayed before we went out, God's preparing the way. Moving out the obstacles. Now, are there some people who are not willing to listen? Are there people who slam the doors on our face? We, we even had one threaten to call the cops on us. That's exciting. That's more than one. We've had that happen. We've had that happen a few times. I don't know that they ever have called the cops, but they've threatened. But God's able to prepare the hearts as, as we were passing out the flyers yesterday, I kept praying, Lord, open their hearts. Open, help them to see something on, on this flyer that wouldn't get the kids' attention, that they'd want to be here. Help the parents to want them to be here. Different times as I was handing out hot dogs and passing out flyers, I, I just silently, in my, in my heart, no one could hear. God, somehow do something in, in the hearts of this person. That we can make a difference. We need God to prepare the way, don't we? You know what? I'm not a salesman. I'm not. I, I am convinced I could not sell a life jacket to a drowning man. I am just convinced of it. Now I know there are some people, Brother Gary, he can sell water to a drowning man. I don't know how he does it, and I'm glad he can do that. I mean, yesterday he's out and he's he's going to them and handing out flyers. Well, I'm just they're coming to me and I'll hand out flyers. But man, he just walks up. You got to come to VBS. I don't know how he does that. I'm thankful that that brother Gary can do that. I need God's help. I need God to. Not only prepare, I, I need God to prepare their hearts because, you know, I, I don't have the right words to say. I don't know what to say. And you know what, if, if really, if we're going to be honest, none of us really know what to say. Because each person's different and each person has their own, their own stuff and, and their own experiences. And the wrong word or the right word can make all the difference. But I don't want to focus necessarily on on them. I want to focus this morning on us. I think it's easy for us to get into this us-them mentality. I think it's easy for us to to get into this mindset of, of they are the problems and we are the solution. And we're not the solution. Only Jesus is the solution. And... I think it's easy for us to assume that that they just ought to want to be here. If you weren't raised this way, why would you want to give up one of your weekend days? You only get two of them. Why would you give that up to come to church? I'm not trying to talk you how to come to church. I just want us to understand. I want us to think a little bit. Why would they want to give up why would they want to get up early and go to Sunday school on their day off? Some of you, I can't even get you here to Sunday school. Some of you come awful late to Sunday school that do make it to Sunday school. Oh, I, that's, not this, that's not this message. Okay. What I'm trying to help us to understand is, is we have a solution. We have something they need, but they don't necessarily know that they need what we have. They don't know that. And so how do we begin? How do we ask God to prepare our hearts? I think the first thing that we need to do is we need to uh, begin with prayer so that we can be sure that there's no sin in our hearts. How can we be light to the world if there is darkness in us? I know that it's beautiful and, and all these things that they've got these. I don't know what they are really. They're but they have these tin or whatever they're made out of, and they put lights in them, and you can see they they've got pictures punched in them, and you know the light shines through all these the these uh you know I I think my wife has one that's a one of those candle warmers or I don't know what you call those things those little. No, it's not potpourri, but there's those, those candle, they're not candles, they're just these, what is it? A wax melter. Thank you, dear. That's why I got married, because I don't know half the stuff she does. So, <laughs> wax melter. and it, uh, she's got, it's a light in there, and it heats up the wax and makes the house smell good, right? Um but the light comes through and, and I don't the picture of a lighthouse or a boat or of a flower or whatever whatever one is uh, that you you want you can have and it's pretty it's got all these these little designs but we aren't like those wax melters we can't we can't have the light filtering through these pockets of goodness while well, we've got Sin that's blocking light. We live in a world that likes to focus on the failures of others. It doesn't matter if you've done a thousand or ten thousand good things. If the media can find one thing, you're out. You're out. Our presidential elections, not just even the presidential elections, all elections it seems like, it's not a game of, of who's got the best ideas, but it's a game of who's the, got the worst dirt on the other person. We're not, they're not even talking ideas anymore. Very rarely do you uh, listen to a, a debate where they're talking ideas. Instead, they're running down the other candidate and you know they've done research and they found that's what works. We complain, oh, it's, it's mudslinging and oh, we hate what politics has become. But the researchers, the people that are trying to get these people elected have found that if you run a clean campaign and don't do any mudslinging, you will lose. We've got just exactly what we've asked for. And the world is looking for things in our lives that they can say, ah, they're a hypocrite. Ah, they're not as good as what they think they are. If we can just find one thing. And it doesn't matter how bright our light would shine otherwise. They're looking for every fault, every failure to mark us off. And it's Satan's job to magnify those things for the world. You say it's not fair. Maybe it isn't. But God's called us to be holy. God's called us to be people who walk in truth. He's called us to be the light of the world. And if we're hiding sin in our lives, if we're hiding bitterness and conflict, do you know that the vast majority of the New Testament is about teaching us how to resolve conflict? I mean, Galatians is full of it. First and 2 Corinthians is full of resolving conflict. Jesus takes time to teach us how to resolve conflict. Jesus is, it makes it a, a central theme of, of his teachings. And what do we do? We ignore everything about that and we either stonewall... Or we hold bitterness. Or we gossip. We do everything except for what the Bible teaches us to do with conflict. We won't grow. We won't grow as long as we allow in our lives things that are contrary to God's word. It can't be done. Oh, we might, we might could grow if if we're willing to put on a show and if we're willing to do all you know if if we're willing to become a club or or, or become a, a a cultural a reflection of our culture. There's ways to grow that that. But I'm talking about growth where people become followers of Christ, and we're going to go this way. If we're not going to go the way of, uh, of of of. Lights and and smoke machines and and all that, if we're going to go the old-fashioned way, if that's what we want, we're going to have to have God the Holy Spirit as the draw. We have to pick what is the draw for our church. What is the the reason that, that people will want to go here? If we want lights and fog machines, we better go ahead and just do that. I won't be your pastor, but you just go ahead and do that. But if we want to have God, the Holy Spirit, as our draw, then we are going to have to be careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit. But here's the problem. Here's the great problem. In the vast majority of our churches, we don't have either or. We don't have the the, the spectacles. We don't have the shows. We don't have we don't have the the, the exciting cultural uh, old stuff. And we don't have God the Holy Spirit as a regular attender of our services. So why would people want to come? Now folks, I'm not trying to be hard on us. I believe we're trying to mind God. But folks, we're going to have to search our hearts. We're going to have to begin with prayer and say, God, is there a reason that I'm not effective in reaching others for you? Is there a reason that, that people would, would, that I would, in my heart, is there something in my life that would cause my light to be dim or even snuffed out? You know, we sing, our children sing a little song about this little light of mine. And we talk about won't let Satan blow it out and not to cover it under a bushel. Do you know Satan doesn't blow out candles by causing you to go into outward sin? But he can blow out our candle by getting us to not be interested in making sure that the fire is burning. It's our job to keep the fire lit. It's our job to trim the wick. It's our responsibility to make sure there's fuel for the fire. You say, I thought that was God's job. No, that's not God's job. It's our responsibility to make sure that we are in a position where the Holy Spirit can set us on fire. We've got to begin with prayer so that we can make sure that there's nothing in our lives that would be a stumbling block or a hindrance to someone coming to Christ. We have to. Be Begin with prayer because we need to get our fear on the altar. If I were to have asked and done a survey, probably this would be the one that the hands would go up, up the most on, and why we don't tell others about Jesus if we weren't afraid to put our hand up for it. Because you know what? There's a lot of fear when it comes to telling others about Jesus. I think a lot of them make sense. We're afraid of, of people uh, mistreating us. They don't want our message. You know, we, we are in a culture, it's all right for you to be a Christian so long as you don't expect us to be uh, Christians. Don't tell us about it. You do your thing, we'll do our thing, but don't, don't tell us about it. Don't try to convert us. Don't try to change us. While at the same time, they're allowed to try to proselytize and, and convince us of their way. It's not a two-way street. Well, they shut evolution and and, and and humanism and and, and pleasure and, and all these things that the world has to offer. They're allowed to to try to steal our kids away, but don't we dare tell them about our way? And we get nervous. What will they think of us? Will I lose this friend, this coworker, our our good relationship if I if I would dare talk to them about the Lord? But you know, I think a bigger one, perhaps, that we face is we're afraid we'll do it wrong. I'll say the wrong thing. I'll make a mess of it. There's two answers to that fear. The first is, imagine with me that you're on the day of judgment. You're standing in line. And that person, whoever it is, your neighbor, your co-worker, whoever that is, is up ahead of you in line to be judged. Is your hope going to be, and you know they're not ready, you know the, what, what, the end, what the judgment's going to be. You already know. Is your hope going to be that you told them and messed it up or that you never told them at all? Or is your hope going to be that you know that, that you, you tried, you you told them, and maybe you stumbled, maybe you didn't have the right words, you stuttered, you messed up in telling them about the Lord, and you really didn't have a very good but you did your best? Or that you were silent and never once told them? I think for me, I'd rather have tried and failed. I think I'd rather have messed up and said the wrong thing than for me to realize that this neighbor, this loved one that's up ahead of me in line, I never once gave him an opportunity. You say they have opportunity. There's churches around. There's Christian radio. There's, there's, there's all sorts of opportunities. What if we were the opportunity that was the one that was going to make the difference? I know there's a lot of opportunity in our, in our, in our, in our, in our culture, in America. There's churches everywhere. But is that an opportunity because there's a church door? How many, how many of us walk into places that we're unfamiliar with? I'll be honest with you. I get a little nervous about into restaurants that I don't know and I haven't heard positive things about, I don't want to spend my money on junk food. If I'm going to spend money on it, I want it to be, I want it to be good. I want to have heard good reports about it. Going and trying a new place that, that I might sink a lot of money into, and I mean, I've got a family, a family our size. It's hard to walk out of a place and say, well, that was disappointing. You think people are just going to walk to our church and just say, you know, we're going to try this out. We're going, to, we're going to... A lot of people don't do that. Do we call our... Do we consider just the church being here an opportunity? I don't think it is. I mean, it can be. God's speaking to them and they'd stop by. We've seen that happen before. But what if, what if we were the one that could have made a difference? We won't know if, we're not, if we never ha- tell them. If we never, if we never try to, to win them for the, the Lord, we'll never know. And I think not knowing would have to be much worse than knowing that we tried and failed. You know, the other part of it is, you can do it all right and still not win them. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and walked away sorrowful. Was it because Jesus wasn't a good soul winner? No, he was a great soul winner. Was it because uh, you know, Jesus said the wrong thing? No, he said exactly what needed to be said for that man. Jesus was able to know his heart. We don't even know the hearts of people. Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew it was exactly the point, that, the pressure point, that area that this man had to surrender to God. God Jesus was able to pinpoint it with, with perfect accuracy. And we can't have that privilege unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. And still, you walked away. Folks, it's not about us having success or failure. As a parent, there are times that I tell my children to do things that the expectation isn't always perfect success. We're trying to teach... Kelsey, to be able to clean her room, pick up her toys. I'll be honest with you, we've had a lot more failure than success. But the point isn't to send her into her room and for it to come out perfectly spotless as good as what her mama could do. That's not the expectation. The expectation is that she's going to put forth effort, that she's going to put uh, put the toys into the box and, and that she's going to do what she can at her ability level. That she's going to put forth effort. And will it be perfect? No. Would it be just like mama would do? No. But, but we're trying to teach her a principle and a habit. And if we are not willing to do what God has commanded us to do because we can't do it perfect yet, that means we're in disobedience. If Kelsey refuses to, do, to clean her room because she can't do it perfect like Mama can do it, she's disobeyed us. And now it's time for discipline. She goes in and tries and it's, we get in there and it's like, oh boy. But she's not disobeyed us. She's been obedient. We can't allow fear to keep us from minding God. We can't. There's a cure for fear. What does the Bible tell us? Perfect love casteth out fear. We're going to have to ask God to help us to love that person more than we fear. Their response or the outcome. Really, it comes down to whether we love them and love the Lord enough to overcome our fears. There's another area, that, a reason that we have to, to pray and begin with prayer, and that's to be sure we have the right motives. I cannot tell you how many people that we've come across that are interested in their church growing because, they are, because that person is selfish. They want the church to grow so that they can help have uh, more money and, and they can have, they, they're, that they can have uh, more comfortable facilities. They want the church to grow because they want to be able to uh, brag to other people about the numbers on the board. They want their church to grow because you know they, they're, they're tired of having to do three and four and five jobs in the church and, and they want to take some of these jobs off and pass them on to somebody else. What a terrible thing to, to want a church to grow for your own selfish reasons. The souls that we're reaching are going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. And whether we have a church or not, whether we have ten jobs or one job or no jobs in the church, regardless of whatever... Whatever benefit may come in our church, whatever it might be, our motives must be pure. I don't believe God's going to bless us if our motives are selfish. I don't believe God's going to help us to to win families and and win children and and parents and grandparents. I don't believe God's going to allow us to be a light set on a hill if the reason that we are uh, setting up that light and, and the reason that we're trying to win others for the Lord is is not because it's for the Lord, it's for us. I wish I I wish I didn't have to preach this. I really do. I wish this wasn't a problem. But I have heard this so many times. Sit around in a board meeting and we're, we've got new people and we need to make some changes in order to keep our new people. And board members tell us it's too inconvenient. We were sitting out of church. We needed to make one change. We had several new families in our church. God was blessing us. I don't know, what do we have, three, four, five new families that year? God was blessing us. And we needed to make one change. Nothing unscriptural, nothing that wrong at all. Nothing outside of God's word. I brought it to the board. I said, we've got to make this change. These families are all telling me that they need this. The board said it's too inconvenient. And we lost every one of those families. Every one of them. When you bring people in, you bring people who aren't saved in, they're going to bring their problems, and they're going to bring their, their issues, and they're going to bring their needs. And if we are reaching out for selfish reasons, we won't meet their needs, we won't deal with their problems, we won't work with them, we won't love them as we ought to, because they were brought in for, all, for us, not for us for them. I wish I could tell you it's only been one time that's happened in our ministry. It's happened many, many, many times. Ultimately, it's too much work. It's too much hassle. It's too much expense. It's It's too much that. Oh, that God would help us. How much is a soul worth to us? You know, we talk about expense. God thought that soul was worth accepting all of heaven and taking his precious son and letting him die on a cruel cross for that soul. And we don't want to get up a little bit early, let them mess up our nice car. Or we don't want to, we don't want to staff a nursery. Or we don't want to start a children's church. Or we don't want to do this or that or the other thing because we didn't do it that way before. Or it's, it's inconvenient or it's a hassle. or The logistics. And you say, I don't like what, some of those ideas you're mentioning, Pastor. You know, it doesn't really matter whether we like the ideas or not. What's really important and we, we really have to focus on is what do we need to do to see souls make it to heaven? What do we have to do? And if it is less than what Jesus was willing to do, then it's not a price too much. And I don't know how we could do more than give up our throne and to give up heaven and to give up our life. I don't know how we could, do, I don't know how we could give, do, give more than that. The question for us is what is our motive in wanting God to help us to grow our church? What is our motive? Why? Why do we want to grow? So we can fill up the seats. So we can build a bigger building, fancier building. So that we can be the biggest church in town. So that we can go to conference and boast about what God's doing here. Is it so we wouldn't have to serve as a Sunday school teacher or board member because we got someone else to do it? Or whatever other mirrored reasons that we have? Or is it because we want to see a soul saved from hell and make it to heaven? We have to begin with prayer because we've got to search our motives. Amy Carmichael. She says this she says Satan is in more earnest than we are He says he buys up the opportunity while we are still counting the cost still wondering how much it's gonna cost us is Satan more interested in that soul than we are I think that's a challenge I think that's a challenge If we truly believe in heaven and hell, if we truly believe every person's going to he- spend eternity in hell or heaven, why does that not affect how we behave? <coughs> you say, it does. It affects, the, I, 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 I live holy because I, I don't want to go to hell. I, I want to go to heaven. I, I, I do all the, I, I want to make it. Well, what about those you work with? The, uh, the cashier at Dollar General? How about the person that serves you at the restaurant or at the bank? They too are going to spend eternity somewhere. It's more earnest than we are. He buys up the opportunity while we still wonder how much it's going to cost. I think we need to begin with prayer because we need to get the right methods and the right, the right directions, the right plan. I find it interesting in our text that before Jesus chooses his 12 disciples, he's spending the night in prayer. Jesus didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I need 12 guys to hang out with. I, you know, I have, there's twelve guys that I'd like to, you know, I I, I I'd like to call friends. I'd, i that I that I you know I, you know it's kind of lonely in the ministry. I'm going to pick twelve guys and he, he didn't walk out the door that day and say, hey, you look like somebody that ought to be a friend of mine and, and uh, you too. And uh, no, he goes to the place of prayer and he says, God, what do you want me to do? And God says, I want you to pick out twelve people, twelve people that are following you. I want I want you to pick all of them out. Make them your disciples. Call them apostles. Give them uh, special training. Give them special instruction. Help them, because when you leave this world, they're going to carry on your ministry. They're going to carry on your message. These are the ones that are going to to shake the world. In fact, the world will say, turn it upside down. I want you... God gave... Jesus, the plan, and I truly believe God told Jesus who to pick. I believe that with all my heart. Jesus is there in the place of prayer before he ever He picks His twelve. In fact, before He goes on to preach, if I had a continued reading, it goes into the preaching of, uh, of Jesus' ministry. Before He's preaching, before He's healing, before He goes about that day and all the responsibilities of that day, He begins with prayer. Why? Because Jesus needed to know what He needed to do that day. Was He supposed to heal? Or not heal? Jesus didn't heal every place He went. There's some there's places in, the, uh, in the Gospels that says that, that He could do no miracle there though it saves, uh, heal, a few sick because of their unbelief. I think that came from the Father, not just from Jesus. I think that if you read through it, oh, different times in scriptures, before Jesus walks on the water, what's he doing? He's on the mountain praying by himself. Why? I, I don't believe Jesus just walked on the water because he could. I don't think he was showing off. God is saying, I, I want to manifest power in you so that your disciples can really understand that the power that I've given you is the Messiah. Before Jesus is, is arrested and taken to, to, to Calvary, and uh, before He's ever uh, tried, what's He doing? He's in the place of prayer because He needs to know how to get through these next 24 hours. Before Jesus could do any of His great miracles, before He could pick His twelve, before He could go to Calvary, He had to begin with prayer. Because He had to get direction from His Father. If Jesus has to get directions from His Father, how much more do we need to get direction? We could start a, a, a van or bus ministry. We could, we could have a community meal and give a free meal away every week. We could we could do all sorts of. Uh, we could have a food bank. We could do. A, there's a lot of ministries we could do, and we cradle roll programs, and and I think we've been involved in all of these that we've mentioned. But is that what's right for here? Is that what God wants for us to do? Or is it another plan? Is it something else that, that He wants us to do? Uh, we've done men's prayer breakfasts and ladies' meetings, and, and I don't know what old ministries we've been a part of, but what does God want to do here? I don't want to spin my wheels and in being ineffective. Just because it's the latest craze, or just because the big church over yonder does it, just because the holiness church over there does it, and they're seeing success. I don't want to follow man's pattern. I want to follow God's pattern for our church. And you know what I want? I want to be able to, to know that I know that, that, that the, what we're doing is what God wants us to do, whether we're effective or failures whether we all like and agree on the idea or whether we all hate it, but we all know God wants us to do it anyways. Oh, that God would help us to ask and seek His will for what He wants us to do, that we're not going out there and following the latest new methods. I believe in the blessed method. I believe in, in this sermon series. That I, I believe that this, this method of beginning with prayer, and listening with care, and eating together, and serving with love, and, and uh, sharing our story, I believe that this method is God-blessed. But I didn't just preach this the first time I've heard this. I told you that it's been on my heart since March. Here it is, June. Why didn't I preach it before? I didn't have clear directions from God saying this is the time to preach it. But this week, this week in the place of prayer, God said to me, and I felt it, I felt He press his finger right on my heart. He said, now. Now. Why now and not March? I don't know. All I know is God said now. You see, we have to have the right timing. It's not just doing the right thing, but at the right timing. Brother Gary sells stuff. You know, there's some things that he sells that I, that I ought not buy because I'm not at the right time in my life. That isn't to say that his product isn't any good. It's just it's, it's not worth... It's not right, the right thing for me. There's better options for me. The timing has to be right. And when I get to that place... If Brother Gary's still selling stuff, he's probably going to be knocking on my door. And I hope he does. If he really believes in his product and believes it's going to help me and be a blessing to me, I hope he loves me enough to tell me about it. When the time's right. But when the time's not right, it doesn't do any good for him to try to sell it to me. God has to prepare the way, but He also knows what's going to work in this day. You know, there's some th- ministries that the, we still do in, in the Holy movement that don't work anymore for evangelism. But we still do them. Oh, I'm going to pick on one. Oh, boy. Put your guns away, put your knives away. For evangelism, to win souls from the world camp meeting doesn't work it doesn't work anymore it's outdated for winning souls do I believe in camp meeting I do but I think it should be repurposed for growing the Saints and building families and seeing our children and our young people get saved there's a lot of benefit to camp meeting I'm not a preaching against camp meeting and don't leave here thinking that I do I believe in camp meeting but it's not an evangelism tool like it used to be back in the day. They used to be able to have camp meetings. People would come all over, farmers and everyone would come in from miles around and people would get saved and there would be great evangelism that was brought through the avenue of camp meeting. Not anymore. Very rarely do you see somebody from the world get saved in camp meeting. You typically see young people. You typically see people that per, are part of our churches that need that have perhaps gone astray or perhaps uh, have some things, issues that need to be dealt with. One of the things that we see in camp meeting is people getting sanctified. These are all great things and wonderful things. I th- really believe that our leadership of our camps really need to to repurpose and really focus on what camp meeting is accomplishing and instead of trying to to use it for methods that no longer work. The time is over for camp meetings as an evangelism tool. Now, youth camps are a great evangelism tool for young people, okay? But I'm talking about our family camps. They don't work to reach the world in general probably know one or two people that in recent years have gotten saved in the world, and you'll just try to prove me wrong. But you think about it. When's the last time you saw a family come in that, that wasn't already attending church, wasn't already, uh, wasn't already making strides towards God? When's the last time you've seen someone like that get saved in our meetings? Not like the stories from the 1800s. Not like the stories from the 1950s. Does that mean something's wrong with our camps? Not necessarily. It just means the timing's wrong. The timing's wrong. The world's went on. It's different. They've got other entertainment venues. They've got other things. We've got to be... Folks, our methods change. The message doesn't. And if your methods won't change, you probably are going to get left behind. Again, I'm not saying get rid of camp meeting. I love camp meeting. I, I, I feel like it's important for my children. I feel like it's important for me. I feel like it's an important time. But I'm just trying to help us to understand that if we are going to win souls, we've got to get the method from God and not get our method from our church history books. We can't be more in love with the past than we are with God. We can't be more in love with the past than we are the future. You say, you're a young whippersnapper, preacher. If you had been around as long as me, you'd know how God came in the times past. Listen, I've seen God come in camp meetings in fantastic ways, maybe not as great as you've seen. But what I'm trying to help us understand is we have to have the methods that God wants for us to use today. You say, but the worldly churches use that method. I don't care who uses it. To be perfectly honest, I don't care who came up with the idea. I get so tired of us. So that group uses that, so we can't use it. Who cares who came up with it and who does it? Does God approve of it? Does it, is it, is it, uh, does it if it doesn't go against Scripture and it, and it works and it has God's seal of approval on it, it's not something wrong or 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 manipulative or anything like that. I don't care who came up with the idea. We get so worked up on who came up with the idea. There's people that are opposed to Christmas because they think it has something to do with some pagan holidays. And I say, what in the world? I don't care who came up with Christmas. You can crump and complain that some false god or this, that, or the other thing that started. Fooey on it. That's not what Christmas is. You know, in some Christians, we can't say Easter anymore. We have to say we have to say Christmas or, or, or Resurrection day because you know Easter was the goddess star and, and and it was about the same time who cares Easter doesn't mean that anymore people are so caught up on on who came up with the idea and how folks if God blesses it and is using it I don't care where it came from and I know you might not disagree with me or you may on that. But folks, we need to get our methods from God. And we need His seal of approval. Not what works at other churches, not what works, uh, what, what's the popular thing, but what God says, this is what He wants us to do. And maybe other churches use it, maybe they don't. But whatever it is, folks, this is the skill. We can be crippled into doing nothing because we're afraid of other churches are doing it or that group does it or that person can't do it. So we don't do anything. We got to begin with prayer so that we can know that God's method and God's plan for our church may not work for Parsons. may not work for Independence. But God wants us to do it. Folks, if we're, gonna, if we're going to be effective in reaching our community, if we're going to be a blessing to the nations, we're going to have to begin with prayer. Folks, we're going to we're gonna have to get to the place where we don't care what methods we use as so long as God is in it. We're going to have to get to the place where our motives are purer. It's not about building our kingdom and our church if they go to a parson's church because of our ministry, go, wonderful, praise the Lord. They go off to some other church, but they make it to heaven, praise the Lord. It's not our kingdom we're building, we're building his. Our motives are pure. We love them and, and we've got we've got our fears on the altar. And we're not going to be controlled by fear. We're going to we're going to march forward because we have we have marching orders from our captain. We're going to be obedient, whatever the cost. We're going to have our hearts right. We're going to deal with bitterness and dis and disagreements in godly ways. We're going to deal with sin and secret sins and carnality. We're going to be a church that can bless our community because we've begun with prayer. If we don't begin with prayer, for not. It's all for not. I invite you to stand with me. I